0: Welcome to the Higher Reality Podcast from Jerusalem. I'm David Page. On last week's episode, we began our Unsung Heroes series with Pete the Sandwich Peddler. Pete told us the story of how he left an externally good job for no job at all. And he was being told by everyone around him that he was crazy to do it. It's not resume material to leave a job before you have a new job lined up. That's not the conventional wisdom. But Pete was driven by something deeper inside. He couldn't be where he was anymore because there were things about where he was that were morally wrong. And even though everybody around him was going along to get along, and even though outside of where he was, everyone was telling him to stay and asking him what he was doing. But Pete listened to his conscience and he did the brave thing and the right thing and stood up and left with no plan other than to lead a life which was true to his principles. And it's easy to talk about in retrospect, but what's difficult is doing things that are brave at the time, and if we read into Pete's story, ultimately it's a story about, at least in episode one, it was a story about overcoming the fear of the unknown to strike out and, and begin again. So I guess the question is how a person manages to conquer the fear of the unknown and do the right thing. And I think for those unsung heroes like Pete the Sandwich peddler, it comes from practice, comes from a certain recognition that a person acquires with time and repeated learning, repeated lessons of life, and actually, you know, working on a proper perception of reality. Because ultimately, you know, one of the things we're most afraid of as human beings is the end of life, is death. That is, That is the ultimate primal fear. And that's why, you know, those seeking bravery in multiple cultures, many cultures would find ways of thinking about life that overcame came that ultimate fear. One example is the, slogan, the old American slogan, give me liberty or give me death, that ignited the American Revolution. And another is of course famously, it's better to die on your feet than live on your knees. But it's not just American culture, it's a global idea. For example, the the samurais Many hundreds of years ago, the Japanese warriors, the samurais, they had a certain exercise that they would do. They would envision the hour of their own death. They would look at themselves, try to envision themselves being uh, blown away by great wind or dying in sword fighting. And by actually coming to terms with their mortality, they overcame their fear because they they put it aside. And, and, And that overcoming of fear is something that characterizes unsung heroes. Any act of heroism is ultimately an act where we rise above our fear, and it requires an act of will. In today's episode of the Higher Reality Podcast, we listen to part two of Pete the Sandwich Peddler's story and in this episode we learn what Pete did next, what Pete did against all the advice of those around him, bravely striking a new path, a path that was true to his own morality, his own soul and the result was magnificent and beautiful, not only because it was externally successful, but, but because it was ultimately internally successful and inspiring, I think for all of us. So please sit back and enjoy part two of Pete the Sandwich Peddler in our Unsung Heroes series.
1: I want them to understand the value of independence, right? And so it's it's a tightrope and, and Right? I just felt like I'm not going to win in the tightrope of, of, of what I did. And I have to find um, a rope that is just a little bit wider and a little bit easier to balance on.
0: So that, that rope was made out of sandwiches.
1: Right. <laughs> so that also is something that just did not come organically. Right. So the desire was there. The desire to, to do something that's easy to understand, something that you don't have to compromise your morals um, it's even like not even expected, right? There's no whining and dining necessarily in, in selling a sandwich. Uh, you can give a free sandwich to somebody, but you're not going to Spago. You're not going to uh, you know, a Michelin rated restaurant and spending $1,000 on somebody uh, or taking them to Las Vegas to a, a strip club to sell them a, a sandwich, right? That just doesn't, it's just not there. Even even to tell someone that you sell sandwiches it is in itself very anticlimactic. It's not something that is impressive, which I love. I thought that that just just the idea of being in a profession where most people kind of chuckle, right? And it, because it's it's literally like so so simple. That's what that's that's you know that's what I thought. But anyway, I I didn't really organically say I'm gonna. Going to go to sandwiches. Um, you know, I had a, um, I, I developed a lot of friendships when I was, when I left my job. Um, some of them were rekindled from the friendships I had before I was working. And so, in one of these friendships, you know, I, I, we were just talking. Um, and he had an idea of getting involved in like a little restaurant. Everything is little bite-sized portions. And I basically, wearing my analyst cap, said that the food industry is terrible. There's a 90% failure rate in food. Uh, Restaurants are very, very expensive to maintain. Um, People burn through a lot of cash before they actually can be successful in a restaurant. And you need a lot, a lot of things going for you. I said, it just doesn't make sense. And I said, you know, but what would really be cool is if you could push a cart on a floor, like a trading floor, like where I used to work, right? If you're in a a dense city population, right? Um, Whether it's LA or whether you're in Boston, whether you're in, you know, Atlanta, um, even some pockets of Florida. Um, So if you're, if you can push a cart in a building that doesn't have a cafeteria, then they're, you know, the startup cost is zero. People are so glued and so fixated on whatever they're doing in certain professions, like traders, right? People trading stocks all day. They just look at a screen all day, you know, look at numbers going up and down and many of them don't even have time to eat. So if you would just push a cart and, you know, get them lunch um, for a reasonable cost, when they're actually hungry, maybe that's an interesting idea. I don't know why God put that idea in my mind, but <laughs> that was, the, that was, it was just as a counterpoint to, to my friend's idea. And then my friend said, So, you know, you want to do that? And, and I said, Yeah, you know, we could try it like for a month. Um, the startup costs will be like, I don't know, the cost of a cart, which is a few hundred bucks. And we'll find some restaurant or someone to cater it to make the food. And we'll just pick a building and we'll just try it and see if people are interested. So that was the birth of being a sandwich peddler.
0: So, so you were pushing around the sandwich cart.
1: So we, we actually, this was like the winter time. This is um, about a year and a half after I left my job. And we, um, anything that could go wrong. Um, to show what a stupid idea this is went wrong, right? So first we got a cart where the wheels are very small and we over-ordered from from the caterer that uh, gave us sandwiches, simple things, tuna, egg salad, you know, very simple sandwiches. So the cart really wasn't mobile. Um, It actually toppled over because it was just too heavy. Um, So we were pushing a cart that was falling. Sandwiches were spilling out of it. Um, We also couldn't find anywhere to sell that they would allow us to be in the building. This was after um, 9-11. Every state was much more secure, um, you know, at least their office space area. So So you're
0: you're a potential terrorist sandwich seller. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) So the only person that we found, we found a... um, a wonderful gentleman that um, he owned a, a, a he owned a probation courthouse. Uh, there were convicts, and he said, "Why don't you sell to the convicts? They're all waiting for their hearings." And that was it. That was our only choice of where to sell. So we we bought this little cart. We only knew that it was bad when it arrived, but we didn't have time to buy another one. So we said, "We'll just push it really slowly." Um, and then we, uh, developed, you know, uh, uh a little logo, um, uh, uh that I used, I, I got an ironer and I ironed the, uh, the logo on a shirt from the gap. And then I wore a little apron and then I, um, stepped into the probation courthouse waiting room. And I said, uh, We got sandwiches, $5 sandwiches. Who wants sandwiches? Anybody want a sandwich? And the convicts, they uh, looked at me uh, with real curious eyes and they walked up to me and they said, You know, what do I have? And I said, I have delicious sandwiches. I said, Gentlemen, please, you know, enjoy. So they said, Okay, I'll take one. And I said, It's $5. He said, Like, we don't have. I don't have five dons. He says, "But I will take one." I said, "No, no, it, it's it's for sale. You can't you can't take them." And uh, quickly, we saw that this was not a population that was interested in sandwiches. So we pushed the cart out of the waiting room. And it well, fell. Well, they
0: were they were interested in the sandwiches. It they like.
1: were very interested in the sandwiches. <laughs> just some of them weren't interested in paying. I didn't paying really.
0: Right.
1: I didn't gauge the pulse of all the rest of them but some of them were not interested in paying. And so we then waited in the hall and we hoped that the lawyers would be interested and lawyer after lawyer would come out of the court. And then I would greet them with a, we have sandwiches, sandwiches for sale, would you be interested? And the lawyers would say, look at me. And they would say, oh, how cute. And they would just walk, they would walk past. I think we sold one. I had about 300 sandwiches in this cart. And lunch was over and, and I was there with my friend and we felt um, emboldened, not defeated, but emboldened. So I said, I said, we cannot go home without selling any sandwiches. We must sell these sandwiches. And so there was a, uh, like a little uh, small town university that was a few blocks away And I scoped out the area and I told them, I said, we got to get the cart to this little university. So we took the sandwiches out of the cart and put it in garbage bags. And then I went into the university. This was, let's say, I don't know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I put the sandwiches on a table and kept stuff below the table. And I just screamed out. I said, $3 sandwiches, $3 sandwiches. And the kids came over, um, and nice kids, and they bought um, not all of them, but probably about eighty percent of the sandwiches I sold them. Now it cost us about a dollar eighty to buy the sandwiches, so we were able to make a dollar twenty profit, and I think I think I sold um, uh, two hundred sandwiches. And I was like, I felt like a million dollars. I was so happy. And I came home at about, to my little eight by 10 apartment. I came home at about, probably about 9, 10 PM, uh, maybe later. And I was just like, I, I felt exhausted before, but I felt like I actually sold something. And I, I got real, real currency um, for delivering an object that was you can understand and that it was you know something that literally satisfied somebody's hunger so I felt that you know I, d- I just felt like I did something and it makes no sense because <laughs> I, what did I just do I just sold a bunch of sandwiches to a kids in a community college for a fraction of the price that I really wanted to and I had no plan for the next day and we already ordered sandwiches for the next day And sure enough, the next day, um, I decided I just wanna go to that university. And then obviously the police told me that I am unsolicited and selling food there. So I really can't continue coming. Um, So that was the end of that. And then I just started walking the streets and trying to find a building that I can go in that doesn't have convicts that are not interested in paying and um, I and my friend, we found, um, each of us found one building that was filled with lawyers, um, just a lot of law offices. And we kindly asked the security guard and the super if we can go in the building. It was, it was not such a large building. And they, they said, yeah, no problem. And then I pushed the cart floor to floor knocking on doors and say you know sandwiches, sandwiches, and people started to buy. And I was I was making um, I got five dollars for every sandwich. I was able to sell about a um, hundred sandwiches for the lunch period. And my friends and I would reconvene in um, in this wonderful uh, man's probation courthouse basement. And we would eat leftover peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we would count the money that we had. And we would open up a bank account. And we decide we're going to put it in. And every day, it was, you know, it was a few hundred bucks. um, And we put it in the bank account. And we were deciding. And we're just, we didn't have like a 10-year plan. We just said, so, uh, I guess we'll see each other tomorrow. Like, should we order more sandwiches from the caterer? Yeah. You know, order. And one day, just... Float into the next. Um, And I developed a whole group of all these lovely lawyers that were um, really, really so so nice to us. You know, they let us in, they would buy a few extra sandwiches. Sometimes I even got a tip. I told them, you know, you don't really have to tip me, just buy the sandwiches. Um, And then there was one day, it's very interesting because this is a good counterpoint to what I was doing before. It was one day it was snowing and I was pushing this. I, we got a new cart, you know, those mail carts that you see in corporations there. I think it's called a Wasserstrom mail cart. Um,
0: yeah, you, those, you, those, those you could push pretty easily. No. Yeah,
1: you could push them. They're they're made like, they're like a wire cart. So you have, you could put like manila envelopes and folders and filofax types of things inside of them. So I decided just to fill them up with as many sandwiches as I can and because it was quite a distance from our base, which was the basement of this courthouse. Um, so it was snowing and I was, and I didn't want to wear a jacket because I felt like it just doesn't look professional. I was freezing. Um, I was wearing my my shirt with my little iron-on logo, which the company doesn't even have the same name anymore. It was just, you know, like old sandwich man. And, um, and then I, uh, I also became friends with, uh, like the people that in the local bank and the local gym. And I used to sell along the way and would sell sandwiches to all these people that were in these all different, these different offices and different, you know, ground level retail establishments. And so I walked in there was one bank. Um, I think it was a TD bank at the time. And, um, I went onto the floor, I was soaking wet because it was snowing, and I, I went onto the floor, I pushed my card in, it you know it has these double doors, so no one was helping open the doors, but I opened the door, I pushed the card in, and immediately they thought I was homeless, and then I, I walked into the floor of the bank itself, and I had a customer who was one of the tellers that he usually likes one of the sandwiches. And the security guard was a new guy. And he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, you know, I'm I'm selling sandwiches. And this guy wants a sandwich. He's like, you better get out of here right now before I call the police. I said, I'm sorry. I said, but maybe you want to buy a sandwich. (laughs) I would sell to anybody. Anyway, as I'm being escorted out, um, a friend of mine that worked in investment banking walked past me on the street. And he was walking past and then he stopped. And he's like, is that you, Pete? I'm like, yeah. And he said, what is wrong with you? Well, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm, I'm selling sandwiches. He's like, in that cart with all the snow on top of it? Like, what kind of sandwiches are you selling? Uh, tuna, egg, peanut butter and jelly, chicken salad. He's like, I mean, seriously, have you, have you lost your mind? Do your parents know what, where you are right now? Like, do you know where you are? I'm like, yeah, I know. I said, maybe you want to buy a sandwich. He's like, wow, this is insane. I cannot believe. And I felt it was such an interesting moment. I actually sold him a sandwich. Um, and I think he threw it away like as he was walking. And he felt such pity for me. And I felt so good. I really did. I, I had such a great feeling that, You know, like I'm, I'm doing something that makes absolutely no sense, but it's so easy again, so easy to understand I'm selling a sandwich and that this is this, this type of activity. It went on for months. I was doing this.
0: It's interesting because the transition from the kind of work you were doing, which was more of a desk job, you were, you were you know busy analyzing at least at some level when you weren't just busy judging what was the best color for your pitch but you know it's a very different kind of work it's not an intellectual endeavor necessarily or is it in other words what 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 is it that that you found interesting in in the sandwich business well you know
1: everything that's very simple the beauty of simplicity is that it actually becomes very complex. Um, sandwiches are perishable, right? You, you say, you know, and I, I, I actually convinced myself I began a whole new industry of indoor lunch carts. I've never heard of that, mobile indoor lunch carts. It was always like the lunch cart guy, but there wasn't like a, a network of lunch carts that was serving floor to floor buildings with fresh wholesome sandwiches um, and, maybe, and we eventually added on trips and drinks as well. So the logistics of knowing which floor to go to, because many times everybody wants lunch at let's say between 11.30 or, or let's say 11 till about one. And because of, of freight elevators and other logistical obstacles, sometimes it's actually impossible to satisfy everyone. And you have to go to floor 16 and you go to floor 10, then you go to floor 12 and you go to floor nine. Um, And what I like about it is that it was so simple in conception, but actually you need to put a lot of thought in, in order to execute it. And really this, this to me was, it's a metaphor for a lot of things in life, right? Many times things go wrong in the simplest things, in the simplest behaviors, in the simplest activity, because you have to actually, you have to make that simple activity Into something complex. It doesn't mean like you superficially make it into complex by like splitting hairs or, you know, a mound from a mohill. It's it's about understanding that there is a certain special sacredness in every single thing, no matter how insignificant. And that when you actually, you know, deconstruct it, and you try to figure out where can I extract value right, in this process? And the answer is um, in everything, but the actual simple product itself. So we'll give you an example. So if you have a sandwich, that sandwich, let's say it's two slices of bread, some peanut butter and jelly. We'll take a very simple sandwich. That's fine. But am I going to be able to get that sandwich from point A to point B at the time when the customer wants it, right? There's a service component. what happens you know, in terms of the integrity of the product? Is the transport mechanism, is that something that is ideal? Right? Obviously a, a, a mail card is not something that's ideal. You would need something that's enclosed ultimately and something that also is refrigerated. Sorry, something that also stays refrigerated. Um, so now you're dealing with transportation, you're dealing with logistics, you're dealing with um, a continuous cold chain. Right? Then you're looking at pricing, right? And you know, I, I took economics, there's elasticity in demand, right? Something that is the only thing I think I even remember from that class, which is basically if you charge more money, less people will want it. So, but if you charge too little, the value perception is nothing. Also, if somebody will walk to a restaurant to get the same sandwich, why is it that they'll pay more, right? And the answer is because they're more invested in the process they're working harder. So the answer of what really appealed to me about this is I felt like we can make a lot more parts. We can figure out logistics. We can put brain power into something that traditionally has been associated with uh, lack of brain power and something that is looked upon as like a desperation play and try to uh, really add value in the process um, and create like a, a real you know, killer app in, um, in, mo- in internal mo- mobile food delivery. So I don't know if that's clear, but that's the, that was my I felt it was a puzzle. I felt it was interesting.
0: Right, in other words, the w- what appears to be simple is actually quite complex logistically and requires a lot of tactics and strategy to execute in a way that makes sense. Exactly.
1: That's the, uh, and, and that really is everything. You know, and I see it till this day that when you say, oh, it's just a, uh, it's just a plate. If that's your philosophy, it's just a plate or, you know, it's just a a wallet or it's just a pen, um, you end up losing it. And if you, uh, you, you end up ruining it, wasting and losing. And what ends up happening is, is that when you don't appreciate what you have, then you It usually trickles into the things that are much more important, uh, or at least what in your mind you've even conceived as more important, right? It starts off with something insignificant and it goes into something that's much more important. And and that's really, it's it's seeing the beauty and insignificance or something that seems insignificant to other people. Like if you would see that person that looked at me as if I have just lost my mind, right? Because what I'm doing is I'm pursuing something that has so little significance in the court of the public eye, right? Opposed to an investment banker, right? In the court of a public eye or an actor, right? Th- these are people that have much more significance. And I'm not saying that they don't have significance. I'm just saying that I find beauty um, and grace and challenge um, on all levels, right? R- Levels of the soul, levels of the mind, in trying to create a sustainable um, business from something that most people translate as highly, highly uh, beneath them.
0: And, w- and when you talk about the fulfilling component, in, in other words, the aspect of the mind and the challenge is clear, you've explained that, but why was this, in your words, spiritually better? In other words, what what was the spiritual aspect? I understand the intellectual aspect, and I understand, you know, the, to some extent, the ethical. Well, well, so so there was a
1: certain philosophy that I I acquired over uh, the the period of time before I started peddling sandwiches, where um, the ideal profession, and again, I'm not speaking for everyone other than myself, the ideal profession is one and simple. Now, clean means again you don't have to lie. You don't. Have, you can cheat, right? You could cheat in selling sandwiches. You could cheat doing anything, right? But it's not like it's not something that is built into the uh, the, the 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 stressors of that job. That it's almost like you know an industry standard that people are fudging and people are making things up and people are being disingenuous. So you have to pick something that's clean, right? And then I also wanted to pick something um, that is relatively easy, right? When I say relatively easy, it means that it's not gonna monopolize my life, right? I'm gonna have time to talk to you. I'm going to have time to do things that I enjoy, right? And this is like a precursor to like a Tim Ferriss four hour work week. And there are so many popular, um, you know, uh, philosophies now about how I'm trying to maximize your productivity so that you could do the things that you enjoy in life. So if I can do things that I enjoy that are adding value in, again, um, personally, within the context of a family, and within the context of community, then um, I picked a great job. Right? I picked something that is sustainable, something that's sustainable from a time perspective so that I can do other things. It's sustainable from a financial perspective because I felt that there really was a growth opportunity here that I could be independent. I feel on a soul level, being independent is very important. Right? It's not, it's, it, it, when, the bread of shame is when you don't really do the work, um, whether it's physically, whether it's figuratively, you don't do that work and you get something, right? When you get something for it. Um, that bread of shame, it doesn't feel shameful um, on day number 10 or day number 100, but it definitely feels like it's gratuitous and it's not coming to me on day number one. And you know, I really, really wanted to pick something that I could be independent. Like I didn't become an actor because I don't think I'd be a good actor. And the odds of me actually succeeding in acting are very slim. Um, so I was looking at it like through the through the lens of like a Stephen Covey, where it says that pick something that you have the 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 the, the nexus of of um, of desire, economics, and ability. Right, where are those three circles where you can you know shade an area. So I felt like I had the desire to it's not just so much to sell sandwiches, but to to succeed in something that people think is very, very insignificant. And it's a tangible product that people can easily understand. And it actually adds very understandable value, right? Feeding people is not something hard to understand, right? Economics, I felt with time, I can figure it out, right? With enough carts, I can get into a, a certain momentum that I can be able to have enough money to be financially independent, not wealth. That was, not, that was never the ambition, right? Not to be fabulously wealthy. That was not the ambition. The ambition was to be financially independent, right? Um, and then the last one, which was ability. And I felt like I, I have the stamina. I have, I have to, to push carts. I don't have the shame. I don't care what people think. Um, I could sell um, and I felt I had the mind that I could, you know, you know, withstand any of the trials and tribulations of being a sandwich peddler. So I, uh, I went forward.
0: And that going forward, I guess you did add carts and I guess you did add buildings.
1: Yeah. So what we did is we, we used Starbucks as our office um for interviews because we couldn't bring them to the basement of a probation courthouse um we interviewed people through craigslist we put out amazing craigslist is really an amazing tool you can put out an ad for anything if you put out an ad i'm looking for a guy who can lick glass off the floor for you know twelve dollars an hour you will have you know i don't know if it's hundreds of responses but you'll definitely have enough responses so when we were looking for someone but but your workers
0: compensation bill will be high i would imagine that's right yeah licking glass is not good you need an independent
1: contractor for that (laughs) um but but when it came to uh like you know searching looking for a sandwich uh a guy to push a cart um we had lines of people (laughs) outside of starbucks and i would greet them and my friends would be at the table i would say come right this way and uh the people in Starbucks eventually got a little bit irate that we were <laughs> holding interviews with lines of people waiting. And oh, but we, they, uh,
0: they, they didn't buy coffee.
1: No, I always bought a coffee,
0: but they didn't. That's buy the policy, which is why uh, why Starbucks they, they didn't buy a coffee. Yeah. Um,
1: but uh, but
0: you know, in the end, they were
1: very nice. You know, they like you know, you could stay here. I mean, there were uh, we we end up seeing the same people on the same Starbucks. There were people that literally use it as their office you know, so, um, so we interviewed people and then we found someone who was a, um, an expert in Tai Chi and, uh, loved meditating in his free time and needed some extra money. And so he was our first employee and he would be pushing the cart and I trained him to do my route and I gave him all the cheat sheets and everything, um, You know, I went to 16 floors in the course of two hours. And I visited on each floor between three and five offices. And it is very challenging, especially if the freight is running behind. Sometimes you miss a floor. So, and he did a great job, you know, and then we would meet back at the basement of the probation courthouse. And we would count up the spoils and we would, you know, um, just say, you know, we'll do it again tomorrow. And then we hired another person to take over my friend's route. And then, then both he and I opened up um, two more buildings. And then we hired another two people. And I mean, each building has a story, which I don't think we have time for in this podcast. But then we hired another two buildings. Um, and then we had about eight carts that were running. Um, and then I was doing inventory stocking and then we had to do cash management and we did the deposits in the bank um, and we had to pay them all. And then we had to start accounting for losses and for missing money. Um, and then I started to see that this is a cash management nightmare. I cannot even tell you, you know, where, where where's the, where's the hundred dollars you sold all this product, you're missing a hundred dollars. Oh, it blew away in the wind. Ah, okay. Um, conversations like that happen all the time. And then I didn't have control. I couldn't figure out if some of these people were being honest. Some of them were, you know, actually selling the food. Were they giving it away? He said he had to give it away to, uh, to people. Otherwise, they was kicking him out of the building. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, you can give it to the elevator guy to be nice, but that's not a precondition. I mean, I have full permission to go in there. I didn't always have full permission, but that was my job is to open up the building. Anyway, so we decided that we need to put it on pause because it is getting into a cash management nightmare. Also some of these Craigslist people, as wonderful as they are, some just didn't show up the next day. And I was opening up another route and then there would be the route that they had. So I would have to cover them and I'd have to cover myself. And that logistically, as you know, you cannot be in two places at the same time. So someone is not going to be getting the sandwich that they anticipated. And then once you don't come one day, they don't rely on you for the next day and then you start losing accounts. So I, we had to step back and we had to figure out also the cart needed to be enclosed and refrigerated. It was getting warm outside. And people were questioning and saying, well, it's a hot sandwich. Like, I don't I don't know where this has been. Like. Why, like, I don't want to get sick. I said, Yeah, I know. I mean, but we just got the sandwiches an hour and a half ago and we still can sell them, but I knew it was kind of not something ideal. So, if you take all of those little pieces, right, and you merge them together, you come up with a dilemma of how do I sustain and build this type of business? So, we had to take a break. And we had to rethink this.
0: So what did you come up with?
1: So what we came up with is we need to be in much bigger buildings. We can't run around and go to two buildings at the same time. We need to have a building where we have some sort of refrigeration and then we can put it in the cart. But at least it should feel cold to the touch. Um, We needed much bigger buildings. And those bigger buildings were not in the area that we were in we would have to travel another 30 minutes to go to the area where you have bigger buildings. Um, And we did. We went to an area that had a very large building that had um, thousands of people in the building. And we felt like just the building alone could be a living. We can have five carts in just that one building. And it's kind of like the 80-20 rule. Um, You really want to make most of your money with as few amount of people as possible so that you could really focus and give them the best product possible. And so we started off in one building. How we got the building is a separate story, Um, but just know like we had to give turkey pastrami to the owner of the building every day and I had to hand deliver it to him. Um, And he didn't want bread. He just wanted a pound of turkey pastrami that he would peel off slice by slice And that was the condition, one, uh, I mean, the the unsung, unwritten condition at least, because he said that, you know, it'd be nice if you just brought me turkey pastrami. By the way, he always paid for the turkey pastrami. He just wanted me to bring it to him. Um, So- He was was on a high
0: protein diet, apparently.
1: He was on a high protein diet. He was a lovely man and such a help to us. Um, And he gave us a fully vacant floor that was just completely raw um, not furbished. It was, you could see, you know, I don't know if it's asbestos on the wall, but whatever is the fireproof coating on the wall, um, and just a concrete slab floor, huge windows. It was a 10,000 square foot floor that we had to park our carts. And we started again and we decided, you know, and we got a refrigerator and then we also did chips. We were able to replenish so we can, we didn't have to take so much with us. And we went up and down, up and down, up and down.
0: What did you do about the cash management issue?
1: Cash management issue, again, we were, it was more control. So we, you know, we had, it was less spaces. So blowing away and all those excuses, they weren't, you know, it, it wasn't ironclad. And we also like, you know, made out that if he doesn't account for every dollar, through you know checks and balances and 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 looking at what he's done, where he sold, again it's tedious. Then it would come out of his out of his pay. But in 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 defense of how difficult it is, it's not iron. It's not ironclad. And the cash management did continue to be an issue only when we were expanding in this area, because we did get a lot of buildings. Um. And as we signed on building after building, it was the same problem. Same problem came again and again and again. It's very hard to do the cash management. Um, Also the carts, the area that we were in was very windy and um, really things did blow away. I mean, I I was pushing a cart and literally half the products blew away. Um, so, So, It became like a really uh, a normal alibi. So now at that time, there were other other accounts that said, "Why don't you just drop off sandwiches to our office, right?" And and we started to sign on corporate accounts that they would just buy sandwiches, you know, at ten o'clock, and we used to fill up boxes, put them on top of the carts, and we would um, have um, ourselves and our um, uh, salespeople. Deliver boxes of sandwiches to corporations and eventually that business of delivering boxes of sandwiches to corporations, instead of hard selling them and going floor to floor that rivaled um, and eventually eclipsed the business that we had
0: before. So let me, let me ask you, it, it sounds like the office building market is a, is a huge market or was a huge market. How, how did COVID-19 hit your business?
1: Right. So if we fast forward, um, you know, we, we're basically only selling, you know, um, to these larger institutions and corporations, you know, and we don't outsource our food. We make all of our own food. And we felt like we had a fully, fully diversified business that had a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, uh, redundancies and a, a, a lot of, safeguards so that if one part of our business would go down the other one would survive so that you know we would still have a business but when COVID struck um you know like corporate institutions shut down all of them and it doesn't matter what sector right whether you're in the financial sector or you're in, you know uh the educational sector everything shut down we got phone call after phone call every one cancelled And we were looking at ourselves and saying, well, what about like the stadiums? We eventually signed up to some stadiums canceled, right? What about, you know, um, you know, the uh, travel industry canceled, trains canceled. And we actually saw that overnight. Um, We had 95% of our business had just disappeared.
0: So... You know, you, you built this business wanting a different kind of life and, and essentially seeking a measure of happiness and fulfillment. How, how did, you know, how did you feel about COVID? Were you, were you devastated? Was this? No. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, look, I mean, on a personal level, I wanted everyone to be healthy. Um, from the family standpoint, I wanted, you know, all of our employees to be healthy. Um but look, I knew that I wasn't the only one. I mean, every single restaurant was shut down and I was a little bit bigger than a restaurant. So I knew that if, you know, eventually people are going to need to eat and I don't have to give them food at their corporation, maybe I can go deliver food to their house. Maybe I can pivot and figure out something else. The same way we pivoted you know, uh, a probation courthouse to a community college, and then from a lunch car business to a food delivery business, we'll pivot to something else, you know, and we have some savings, we've never been profligate, we've never been, you know, greedy, we never really, you know, lived a large life. Um, We believed you know, that the business has to thrive. And so, uh, you know, we were, we weren't particularly nervous, but we were anticipating that this would not be that long lived. That anticipation was incorrect, but um, you know the uh, there there the government you know they they had you know very important stimulus that helped small businesses like our own, and um, you know we were helping people that were you know homebound, um, you know trying to sell to some of the the health the healthcare industry, which needed help. And, uh, and we're surviving.
0: So what do you say to somebody who, you know, unlike you, they, they didn't have the magic touch. In other words, you, you know, began in the sandwich business, you know, you're Pete, the sandwich peddler, and you're increasingly successful from your first day. But what do you say to somebody who Pivots and pivots the wrong way. In other words, what do you what do you say to somebody who, who's not successful from their first day?
1: Well, first, you know, I mean, I think you can hear from at least some of the the, the stories from my story that it's not a success overnight type of thing. If anything, it is the feeling, uh, at least the perception um, of incredible failure before you can taste any success. I feel that motivation um, and your value system is much more important than any of your business ideas. Your business ideas are nothing new. Um, right? Selling sandwiches from a cart or s- even selling sandwiches, <laughs> selling anything really. It's nothing new, right? There's not everyone's not going to come up with an idea to be the next Microsoft or the next Amazon or Tesla. Um, and even if you do, those ideas are also not new. It's just about the execution and how well you do it. Um, but the person has to look and see who am I, right? What am, what what is the value system that I have? What is the the, the legacy that I want to leave? Um, is it a legacy that you know I I'm not proud of? Is are my ends being justified? um, by themselves or by the means, right? Is it the path or is it the goal? And so I feel like when someone feels that they are on the right path and that they are pursuing things because they want to pursue them and they can justify the pursuit from the pursuit itself, then that person will feel something called fulfillment. And fulfillment is very different than, um, financial success, and when I'm not downplaying financial success, right? Um, But financial success does not necessarily bring fulfillment, right? So when you are home, and you spend time with your kids, and you get to read them a book, you know, before they go to bed, or you're able to help them with, you know, a problem, or, or, or give them the tools to feel the courage to be as independent as they can be, Right when you could step up to your for your community and you can help out in any way, whether it's you know helping the local educational institutions or you know giving to a uh, giving your time to a local food pantry. Um, when you do those things, it brings more and more and more fulfillment, and I feel like that is the the benchmark of success. Don't define success necessarily by the criers on the street, right? because there is not a a, a congruous value relationship to the fulfillment that you might have in your vocation, right? Look towards your internal compass. Think about your soul. Think about the relationships that you want to have and that you want to be remembered for um, and pursue something that will truly give you a sense of fulfillment.
0: Well, Pete, it's been a genuine pleasure and honor, and you know I want to thank you very much for taking the time uh, to come and appear today on the Higher Reality podcast. And thank uh, you, David. You know I, I wish you much luck and success. And, you know, all, all Amen. The, you've outlined going forward. Amen. Thank you.